Welcome to Tether Together, a podcast about friendship, care, and connection from Laura Interlandy and Erica Livingston of Birdsong Brooklyn. We're so glad you're here. Hi. Hi. Welcome back to Tether Together. It's good to see you. Hope you're well. And if you're not, you're in the right place. I am in Brooklyn in my guest bedroom and Laura is in her closet. I wish y'all could see her um, surrounded by, it looks like she's on the winter end of her closet because it's definitely the jacket side, the sweater side. It's very cozy. Wrapped myself in my grandmother's. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Cozy. It's a shawl. Just bringing in the grandmother while wearing a t-shirt that says smashing the patriarchy is my cardio. True. (laughs) Who needs a bike or an elliptical? And you could just get your cardio out by smashing the patriarchy. It is um, exciting because today we're going to talk about nourishing postpartum. Yes. So we came together and last episode we talked a lot about how we came together and what it is that galvanized us in that time period when we were pregnant but really what continued to join us and unite us together is showing up being each other's postpartum doulas and realizing that that was something very deep within us And realizing that even for people like us who had spent a lot of time and a lot of energy putting emphasis on what kind of birth experience we wanted and having a supported team and making really informed choices. And while that all is so important, even in all of that and being supported holistically across that threshold, we realized it was crickets afterwards. It was tumbleweeds. We were alone. And we, as fairly intelligent, empowered people, had not put any thought really at all into what time and life and the day and our bodies would look like and need beyond our birth experiences. So if that's you, you're not alone. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I definitely put thought into it, but I didn't understand it because I did over-prepare for post, remember? like Right. You made physical. Yeah. And I did make a nursing station for myself. Like I made the first lactation station was mine. Cause I remember my midwife doing like, once she started coming to the home for the visits, I would go see her until the end of pregnancy. And then she came to me and I remember her seeing the lactation station and being like, what, what even is this? This is so great. So I was scouring the internet and looking at things and trying to find stuff. And yet somehow, I don't know how this is even possible because I did. Yeah. I made postpartum bath fizzy herbal postpartum bath fizzies. It wasn't easy. Danny had to hand make a tool to help me make those. <laughs> okay. It was Danny not an easy, those on this isn't like a, this isn't just like a quickly throw it together in the Vitamix. Like this took a lot of time <laughs> and I did that type of stuff. And yet I still did not understand even the concept of a postpartum doula. No one told me about a postpartum doula. I didn't know how to ask really deeply for the support of my community because I didn't fully understand what I was going to need from them. And so I did a lot of preparing, but here's the thing. And I see this even with some of my clients that when I go to them, they have over-prepared 
But even if you overprepare, you can't be your own support. That's the thing. Even if you're like a list maker, Virgo North node, it doesn't matter because you cannot show up for your own self. That's the whole concept. You have to have other people show up. So then we like both went into postpartum basically right around the same time, a season apart. I also got to say, I went first. So you probably yeah. saw me like drowning in the deep end and you were like, and I was like, I got to make some fizzies quick. <laughs> what Laura needs. Yeah, only fizzies. Laura had made fizzies. Um, but yeah, it is really, and, and I do think that it's sort of like what we hear from a lot of birthing people is that if they have a partner oftentimes they feel that there's a bit of a disconnect between their experience and their partner's experience because they are have they're having an embodied experience from the moment they feel the first wave of nausea and they feel a frustration because there isn't an embodied understanding which there never can be if you're having two completely different ways of experiencing parenthood um, you're not going to embody the other person's experience you're only going to embody your own but I think there is something to be said for that concept in general, in terms of the threshold. Like it isn't possible to know what it's going to feel like until you're in it and you're feeling it. And so I think there is a, you know, a sort of a feeling that um, we should be able to understand and we should have done better and we should have known better. But if you've never done it before, then how are you supposed to know what it's going to be? Especially right. the, the feelings of um, sleeplessness. Like you've probably never been that tired before unless you've like been tortured through sleep deprivation. You know, it's right. Yeah. I think that like people will be like, oh yeah, I did like one time at like sleep away camp. I stayed up all night. Yeah. It's or, really like, I remember finals, like during finals, but it's that's really the closest. Right. Both of those are also really choice based. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like you gave your consent at sleepaway camp. Probably. Maybe not, but probably, right? So it's so different when you're here. Yeah. And now it's um all you do, you do anything to get back to sleep and you can't. It feels like not consent based. Well, and I so I just want to send like I want to send so much love to the people, whether it's in the now or in the, it was your past experience or you're going to cross the threshold soon or at some point. Um, if you didn't prepare and you don't know, and you feel like you should have done better, known better, like why should you have, like where in our culture were you ever invited into a postpartum space in a real way or where were you taught um, you're probably, you probably come from a wisdom tradition that is not uh, typically American or North American um, in this Western way, if you have any embodied understanding of the postpartum period, because there are many cultural traditions that do, but this way of being and this way of living so separately from each other and, you know, the pink and the blue blanket from the hospital, that's like about it. Yeah. Also, don't be, don't it's always so yourself. related to menstruation. I think that always comes up for me because I think that the training ground for how to take care of your body after you have a baby is the years before, if you're a bleeding person, then how you've been taken care of by others and yourself when you're bleeding. And that just isn't the norm. It's like, 
you know, I think most people just, they are told to hide it from the beginning. Um, there's like immediate shame, you know, make sure you wrap that in like so much toilet paper that it just looks like you put a softball inside of a piece of toilet paper in the garbage so that no one will see that this is happening and that that's more the norm. That's like what you hear is everybody's kind of like, um, social foundation around bleeding. And yet that's actually the little postpartum. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and it's the, the practice, it's the practice postpartum. And yeah. That gets it to where, when you're there, and if when you're there and like actual had a baby postpartum that then, you know, Oh, there's blood after this. Okay. This is how I treat myself when there's blood. And then also if you have had really hard postpartum experiences, I also want to acknowledge that sometimes when we get into these really positive conversations, which we're going to move into, like, how can we change this for people and how can we show up better for people and how can we plan better for these time periods? Sometimes it can feel really activating because you feel like you got it wrong or you, you know, you're not going to have another child and you know that some of these dreamy things we're talking about aren't going to be your experience. And I just want to like, send a big distance time travel hug to that feeling because I do understand that that is a really hard feeling to hold Um, especially for someone like a twin parent or someone who got an experience uh, maybe medically that they weren't expecting NICU parents people that have gone through really really difficult times that they definitely could not have planned for Um, some of these things might feel really like we're setting up some lofty visions and lofty expectations. And that's definitely not the case. What, what we want is to inspire you to care for yourself in times that are turbulent and times where depletion is more easily slipped into like a bleed time, like a seasonal shift, like menopause, um, any or a big threshold like moving or, Uh, graduating or changing a job that's all of the tools and things we're going to be talking about here today can be applied with a lot of love and care and tenderness to really any threshold, especially one that might involve you bleeding or going through a big hormonal shift. So please um, know that you're welcome to sit on a sits bath any old day. Yeah, totally. (laughs) That's yourself. Actually, that's what I'm sending. Laura's sending a time travel hug and I'm sending the time travel sits. <laughs> hashtag, go sits yourself. Hashtag, hashtag go sits yourself. <laughs> um, if you don't sits yourself, I will. <laughs> or also, that sounds tough. That sits isn't going to sits itself. <laughs> go sits down. <laughs> I have had people think that's what I'm saying. That just happened really recently in a prenatal when I was talking about it. You could tell they're kind of confused on their face, and it's because they thought I was like there was some southern thing I say that's uh, just added an S. Yeah, I <laughs> like it's not even an S; it's a Z, y'all. <laughs> okay, so what we want to talk about too is people's association with postpartum, which is the whole reason we even need to make a change. Right? Is not only are we not taught this. But in fact, when we think of the word postpartum, what is it we think about? What do I think of when I think of postpartum? I I think of depression. When I think of the word postpartum, I it's usually synonymous with depression because that's what I thought of the word before I got pregnant, even though 
I've recently been pregnant. I know that's not what follows. And I know that when I say the word postpartum, people usually think I'm referring to depression because it's just the phrase that you're most used to hearing. So it's not really known as just post-birth in my sphere. I associate postpartum with the word postpartum depression. When I hear postpartum, the first thing that comes to mind is postpartum depression. First word that comes to mind is depression, because I think that's been the most kind of widely publicized combination of words, postpartum depression. When I think of the word postpartum, my first thoughts are recovery and adjustment. Everything being sore and wearing diapers and just leaking and, yeah. Before I had my kids, when I heard the word postpartum, the first word that would come to mind would be depression. When I think of the word postpartum, I think of the word grief. Depression, right? Or at least that's what most people are saying. And we really hold to it that it doesn't have to be that that postpartum is a time period. We can use it as a noun and we do, but it's a time period, right? It breaks down to be the time after baby. And so you can have- Post means after and partum is Latin for delivery. So it literally just means after delivery. Which is why it's forever. Which is why it never stops. It just means you can't go back. That's why the bounce back is such a big hot mess because we can't undo that you had this happen. You can't turn around and go the other way, you know? And yet I do think our society puts some expectations. The overculture puts that on us that we should get back into our genes and get back into the old body. And there's no shame in the fact that you think of depression first because A, we're not talking about the postpartum period at all really in our culture. And we certainly aren't talking about it with nuance. And we certainly aren't talking about it with joy, reverence, and honoring. Yeah. We love a drama. We love the most hyperbolic story. We love to shame uh, female identified people and bleeding people. We love to set up unrealistic expectations with them. When she says we, she doesn't mean us. Yeah, we love to do that. (laughs) Her song, Brooklyn, is where to come for your daily shame dose. Come on up to the shame bar. Um, But it's like our culture really, really loves to set these incredibly unrealistic expectations and also not support you ever achieving them and and even put so many barriers in the way. So Mm -hmm. we're going to demystify, we're going to break down, we're going to offer some alternatives and some suggestions. And this is a conversation that we hope we don't have to have forever. It would be great if we don't, but we're like literally willing to take this one, take this fight to the grave. Yeah, we are. So much so So that we have decided that if we really, we're going to get a plot together to be buried and that we would like our tombstone to be like a collaborative connective tombstone that if we really achieve like our goal in life, it will say that we changed the association of the word postpartum from depression to nourished. 
and that the culture thinks of other words, maybe not just nourished, but words like that. That's the one we chose to start speaking How would a over a year ago of like, that feels like what we do as our work is we nourish the postpartum period. But it could be any word that you like, it can be postpartum. This is a, my challenge. When someone says, you know what, after she had the baby, she got postpartum, that what you say to that is, she got postpartum what? Postpartum donuts. <laughs> she, after she had the baby, she got postpartum donuts. That is so exciting. That sounds delicious. And so if we could just use the word for a while, practice using it like a qualifier, postpartum um, roller skating. I did that. <laughs> Not immediately. Let's be Not immediately, but Medically. probably sooner than I would have recommended to any of my clients. But it was my birthday. I had to. So postpartum roller skating, postpartum donuts, karaoke. postpartum karaoke, postpartum joy postpartum nourishment, postpartum nurturing, postpartum protected sleep. That's the question to ask yourself. What kind of postpartum period would you like to have? Would you have a postpartum period that is nourished? And what I genuinely believe, and Birdsong, we, not we as a culture, we as Birdsong, (laughs) genuinely believes that if we were approaching the postpartum period and the transition from um, pregnancy to the postpartum, the pregnant body to the birthing body to the postpartum body with nourishment at the forefront, we would see a decline in some, if not many, if not all of the negative rates that we're, uh, that we're yeah. seeing out there, whether those are physiologic things that are happening, psychological things that are happening, societal things that are happening, whether it's related to in- the infant or related to the parent. Because uh, one thing I do want to say is I know it can feel really vast and overwhelming to say postpartum is forever or hashtag your grandma's still postpartum. But <laughs> <laughs> while that is true, if we have to define a time period at all, because I know everyone's obsessed with defining a time period. And one of the reasons that that can be helpful is to put a container so that we ourselves and our minds can feel like we are graduating towards something that feels like a getting maybe not back to, but moving through, right? Yeah. And emerging out of something in a positive way so that you can step into something else and you can use an identifier as something else. We're not saying that when you're 85, you should be like, I'm postpartum, you know. You know what? The truth is when you're 85, you'll be sitting for other reasons. (laughs) (laughs) Forever. Sitting is forever. (laughs) Sitting is forever. Um, So what I do want to say is if we have to define the time period at all, and in our work as mentors and teachers, we are asked this a lot and we're asked this because people want to know how long should I make my service contract and how long did this and we try to be as open and define your own role and scope as we possibly can be but when we have to dig into a time period, and when we sat down with the Senator for North Brooklyn, um, Julia Salazar, to discuss like doula work in this time, or if we had to sit with an insurance company, like if we had to go to bat for a time period, we would say at least 12 months. Yeah. And that is because the um, American Psychological Association defines a perinatal mood disorder as any disorder, any mood disorder occurring um, within the first 12 months postpartum. 
And when you look at the maternal mortality index, which is in the United States, astronomically high, we are actually looking at any deaths that occur up to 12 months postpartum. Think of maternal mortality being that someone is dying in the birth space, in the labor and delivery room, or in the hospital, or in an OR, but people are actually dying at home. People are actually bleeding out and having hemorrhages and all these kinds of things. And we believe that centering nourishment, of course, it will increase positive outcomes in the ways we're thinking, but that we need to center nourishment and we need to center the postpartum period because people are actually dying in the postpartum period. So when we talk about like all the, the ways in which we want to shift towards the positive, I don't, I also don't want to forget like how urgent this is for some people. Yeah, I agree. I also think that to be noted is the personal reason of one year for us is to me, it took a full year to, to start to feel like I had a handle on things. And I think that actually is because of the seasons. And there was something that started to happen as I crossed over my first born child's first birthday, where I felt the same weather on my skin that I had felt in the time immediate postpartum, right after I'd had him, that it started to feel like, oh, this round, I've got it. And some practicals, like some basics of just like, I know how to dress a kid in the summer versus winter. I just like didn't have the same questions. And so that one year marker was a personal feeling for, I think, both of us, that that was a moment where we started to like bud up and out and feel that thing of like, I can kind of step out of identifying only as this and I can identify as many other things. So there's like the bigger picture of the maternal morbidity and infant mortality and the really intense, awful things happening with um, racism in the birth culture of America that is de literally deadly. And then there's our own personal experiences as just two people that have had kids and those timelines feel like there's yeah. something that's needing. Absolutely. And so we'll still forever say postpartum is forever, but most of the time we are using the year qualifier because there has to be a container. Um, we think that if people were to think of the postpartum period as 12 months rather than as six weeks, which by the Wouldn't way, that be the jam? What if everybody thought that? Okay, let's just like brainstorm, like let's dream for a second. If every job, every single job gave you a year. I mean, I'm sitting in Canada. That is what's normal. Like my leg hair is growing. Like, like I just got like full out. America, full I chills. to America and like immediately got pregnant and was like, what? What? Which Such a mess. This, you know? Um, as somebody who moved to America from a country that offers full year maternity leave, my perspective on the healthcare system was so jaded from, from moment one, right? Like I was, yeah. I was, I had come from privilege. I didn't even understand I had until I didn't have it. And then I realized, and then I, then you get brainwashed, right? Because that is where you are living and you forget that literally every other nation in the world does some version of this better and that this is a good moment for you to talk about postpartum globally yeah so one thing that we really 
need to remember again so we don't gaslight ourselves and wonder why am i having such a hard time i should be better i shouldn't still be bleeding i should feel stronger i should fit back in my clothes is that almost every culture and definitely if you look back a few generations every country in the world every culture in the world um, has practices for the postpartum period specifically so those might include you know spiritual practices or religious practices in the form of certain prayers and rituals they will also include recipes they will also include thoughts on for example in chinese medicine they talk about mother roasting and keeping people very warm in the postpartum period. There will be rules even around when you're allowed to move from laying in the bed until going into the kitchen. Um, there are so many different cultural norms outside of, you know, white America that really do acknowledge the fact that people are going through a major physiological, emotional, mental, spiritual community uh, threshold crossing. And it acknowledges that if, you know, primary caregivers and birthing people are not strong, the community will not be strong. And I'm not saying, I am definitely not saying, you know, go and appropriate from other cultures and take all of their traditions. What I definitely am saying is look at the cross-cultural, um, almost like archetypes, right? Like what is the collective unconscious of all of these cultures identifying? Oh, that postpartum people need food that is easy to digest, that is warm that is brought by other people to the home rather than you know immediately put on that person themselves to cook we're acknowledging that the body's going through these hormonal fluctuations that vary temperature and that person should probably kept be kept very warm and cozy we're acknowledging their blood we're acknowledging the fact that they're going to need to rest and you know our mentor jackie kelleher she was the first one to illuminate to us that in many other cultures and countries around the world the bleeding period uh, postpartum is around two weeks. In our culture, it's very nor typical. <laughs> it's very typical for- It's been normalized. Yeah, it's been normalized that our will continue to bleed for five or even six weeks. Or even more. Or even longer. I feel like the norm now, people will, I'll hear people saying now, oh, you're going to bleed six to eight weeks. Six to eight weeks. And why do you think our bodies are bleeding for six to eight weeks? It's because we're- Because they're screaming to lay down. They're, they're like, please sit down, sit down. down. <laughs> Can you sit down? <laughs> and so, you know, what I want, why I'm bringing this up is the fact that like, we are getting it wrong. You know, we have, we aren't pulling in all the tools that are possible. Like we don't need to rewrite this from scratch. Like if you were to ask your grandmother or your great grandmother, what people did when you had a baby um if you're from anywhere other than white america you will find beautiful deep nuanced complex answers that will amaze you and will probably intrigue you and you there's no reason why you can't eat that food right now and honor mm. you know honor mm -hmm. postpartum traditions when you're going through your menstrual cycle if you have one or when next time you're sick or the next time it's a cozy winter day so there are things that our bodies need 
there are things that we have historically and culturally done to support that. And, and that isn't what is being brought forth in the pop, in pop culture, in the overculture right now. And that's having very serious, very clear effects. And instead of gaslighting ourselves and saying, why am I doing it wrong? Why aren't I stronger and better? And why aren't I looking like that person? We just need to think, we need to think back, like, were we set up for success? And if the answer is yes, amazing. But for most people, the answer is, oh yeah, no, I really, really wasn't. Media is such a tricky part of it. Cause I just like had this thought as you're saying that about like, it was probably quite rare for all of human history to ever be laying postpartum, looking at many pictures of other postpartum people. <laughs> We just like weren't doing that, you know, and I think that's why it's so intensely like it's very hard to look at someone else's body that's like a different way in the postpartum period. And I see that happening so frequently with my clients. They kind of like un they need to untangle the knot of well, why does it look like that for them? Yeah, one of the reasons we started this podcast was to really actually take some of the visual stimulus and away and, and yeah put it away and like mm. be cozy in the ears you know and let our little brains sort of like and nervous systems reset from the onslaught of visual imagery and, and when you look at co the cross-cultural traditions there are many cultures around the world that have rituals and rules and containers around like reading no reading no, no media reading. no watching tv really understanding that we're in what we often call like a veilless time, you know, like if we're going to go as um, esoteric as we can get sometimes, which we can really go there, y'all. We go there, like we can go to Neptune. If you want to come, <laughs> hop on the rocket ship. Um, but I really, we have talked so much about how the birthing body is a portal, you know, and whether the birth is surgical or vaginal, um, that's still the most open you've ever been. And the postpartum period, you are still open. And unless you are being really cared for and really nourished up and you have people gatekeeping energies and information for you, you're, you're just, that is all just coming at you. Coming in, coming in the ears, coming in the mouth, coming, coming up in, in the, the eyes and the nose, like whatever way stuff can get in comes in. Cause you don't have that, all those layers of discernment and protection and, you know, all of your faculties also because you haven't slept mm -hmm. and it's worked so hard and it's putting so much energy to the physical, the immediate physical needs of keeping you sustained. And if you're also feeding from your body, also doing that. And so we do need some gatekeeping done for us, or we need to maybe curate a little bit of how much we're taking in. But mm -hmm. it's so appealing, right? When you're usually left alone from pretty much go to want to just hop on the old device and may, and find some connection. And I Right, because you're kind of isolated. And we're not, we're, we are not the people sitting here being like, do not Netflix for the first year after parenthood. Oh my God. Like, that is, Don't do that. I mean, like we're the opposite. We're actually like, okay, on our intake form at our prenatal postpartum planning session, we're like, what's your favorite show that you're gonna rewatch? you know like what's your netflix cue for your postpartum period and yet i think that it is like part of the reason to look at that is like what should that be because there might be four options of great shows you could watch and like rewatch. like i um 
you know, the Handmaid's Tale, I don't suggest as like a really great, put it at the forefront, put it right there in the early time period, you know? So I think it's like, don't, you know, 80, 20 life is kind of the way, right? Instead of, cause I think it's easy. Great breathtaking well, show. Slash, yes. You know, home. It's record. easy when we talk about these cross-cultural things, which like we nerd out about and love to talk about because I think there's so much to learn from the overlap of um the history of postpartum in many different areas but it's i think it can be easy to then get like dogmatic and be like okay so now what i have to do you know or if you have this thing like did i get the 40 days right did i get it right did i do it right you know when we talk about setting yourself up or setting up a friend or setting up your clients for a nourished postpartum we're definitely not talking about um setting bars that can't be reached and like this morning right. i was talking with a client who is in postpartum and they are in the postpartum period as would be defined really by anyone kind of that like six week like around that six week mark and we were talking about nourishment and we were talking about mm-hmm. the reality of nourishment when you are parenting multiple children one of which is feeding on from your body and you are kind of coming out of those very first few weeks and you're wanting to do a little bit more, but how it can be so easy for that morning routine of getting the older kid to school and making sure that the baby still gets to nap and that everyone's in their vibe to go from uh, seven o'clock in the morning to 11 o'clock in the morning and forget you have a body. Yeah. What do you do to plug? And then all of a sudden you're reaching for like these sugary things because your body's, your brain is basically saying, I'm shutting. Please help me. Yeah. And so we talked about, I said, you know, I have no desire for anybody to restrict anything in postpartum. I do not Mm -hmm. want to ever, we have been taught and messaged that ever since we are little about what we're not allowed to have or what we should cut out of our diets or how we should not do this or not do that. I am never going to tell somebody what they shouldn't eat in postpartum. That's just so not, not about it. I want you to have the really amazing pretzel peanut butter, like delicious with sugar on top things. Let's talk about what we're trying to have more of. And what we're trying to have more of is those like fats that are going to really nourish us inside and that protein that's going to like give us that like long standing energy. And of course we know, right? And when we have more of what our body's needing in like the full wheel, we don't crave those really, uh, we have those things from a joy-based perspective. We choose them consciously. I'm going to have that treat now rather than feeling like I've got to grab all of those things because that's what my brain needs as it's shutting down. Yeah, I think it's also this thing of not, right? There's some shaming that goes on with food in our culture, separate of postpartum in general, right? Of like shaming what people eat and not acknowledging how ist that can be in so many ways. Like that can be ableist, that can be racist and classist and like judging what other people eat and the way they consume it is just... I mean, you really just should never do it. And I'm going to should right there and say, you should not ever judge what anyone eats because you don't know the whole story. But also in post- To themselves in postpartum. Yes. In in postpartum more than anyone, they're doing it or more than any other. Well, because then it's also like about the kids. It's about the kids. It's also about the milk. 
the baby weight. It's about like all these harming mm-hmm. things that we've been taught. And then what I see in, and the reason why I say this is on the flip side, if you're listening to this, you're probably either, you know, someone who's really into the postpartum period or doula work or a parent, or just like a person that really likes all these topics and what can happen when you are so excited to learn new things is you can get, you can create a hierarchy and you Mm -hmm. can create uh, expectations that are harming for yourself and for others because you're like, oh my God, this is the optimal diet for a postpartum person. And what I want to nourish everybody this way. And what you forget is that people are coming to the postpartum experience with like decades of baggage around food and like stuff that they've been taught and told and shamed about. And so it's important to have like a yes and about. Yeah. I also want to just really acknowledge this thing that I did not think about before I was a doula. That is that nourishment can come in what is not a, like what you might think of stereotypically for nourishment package, right? Like I can be deeply nourished by a pound cake right? Because like my grandmother made pound cakes a lot and they had this like amazing lemon icing on them. And so that the nourishment that comes to me when I taste that and it tastes something like what nanny made, then that's a different type of nourishment that has to do with like nostalgia and connection and that, you know, and some people feel that way with a Snickers ice cream bar. And is a Snickers, (laughs) I mean, bow to the Snickers ice cream bar real quick. And I mean, my is that... was mostly Snickers. <laughs> I love it when people talk about what their kids were made out of. I love it. Shout out to Lauren, who always says that um, the twins were made mainly of shakes, Shake Shack. I really think yeah. that's funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like being able to just say that, like, can't there be space for these things too? Because they're giving you nourishment in a way, right? If you're really longing, like I did and still do, that my grandmother passed before I had my biological children, and they never got to meet on this plane. And so there's something that nourishes that grief when I eat a piece of lemon pound cake, right? And that's valuable too. That's valuable, especially in this like year we're talking about in this open portal time. Because when you're that, when you're this open, and I also want to say that being open also has to do with like being still. Mm. This might be the most still, quiet, reflective time period of your life, even if you don't mean it to be. Just by even if you don't want it to be, you're like I (laughs) don't reflect. (laughs) But you mix sleeplessness, portalness, and reflect and and time to. Even if it's only a week or two weeks, and you're and and it, you might be surprised at how much comes up. And mm-hmm. so it is important to like unshame what it is that you crave and what it is that you um you want around you, or you want to watch, or you want to smell, or you want to eat. And I mean, our our joke is like the hierarchy of need of human need is food sleep and sex and we could we can and we will go into all of these things at various points but the joke is we all know that we're not getting tons of sleep or really sex off the table (laughs) at least the sex that most mainstream people are thinking about 
more on that. So that food, <laughs> that food better be great. That better be so good. But the reality is a like lot of times sleep and a big old orgasm. So what I want to say is that we, when we think of nourishment, not only do we think of like how our bodies take in, you know, nutrients and vitamins, but also what feels good to us to eat. And that could be emotional recall, like Erica's saying, but it might also just come in the form of eating enough and be yep. able to eat unhurried and have somebody hold the baby for you while you actually eat an entire meal without like a highly activated nervous system that feels like the baby screaming, you know, as you're trying to shove like a piece of toast in your mouth. It's like, these are things that are so basic, but you yeah. can get six months into parenthood. And have never achieved it. I mean, I think I was like clawing my way up the mountain of trying to feel full and that I was doing that for so long in, since I had kids that like, truly, I mean, I'm like six and a half years postpartum now. And I'm like, just now it's like feeling like, okay, I've felt full. <laughs> yeah. And it's the hunger is real. And I think also because prior to having children, I didn't spend a lot of time feeling full. And I think that that's also a pretty normal thing for someone in our society um, that is commissioning ourselves to have enough and feel yeah, full and to be enough. And so then you're allowed enough. And also that, you know, full relating into like what that even feels like in your body. And that comes so much from like your money story of your family um, what body you're born into and how food metabolizes on it. There's like so many parts to that. And so, and then you're also like, now you're eating for a different reason, you know, especially if you're doing breast and chest feeding, like you're like eating to feed and it's a different need. Eat to feed comes with lots of needs. So there's so much we can go into in terms of, but as you can see, we're not really about centering optimal nutrition because we can just see all the ways that that can get really tricky and activating for people. But optimal nutrition really comes down to easily digestible food that you can eat, maybe even one-handed, um, hopefully enough through the day and that you, you know, really listen to what your body's needs are and maybe even look back in your own culture or, um, ancestry to see what the foods of the people who passed across the threshold of parenthood were. And yeah. we'll link in the um, show notes to a few resources that are really great that we love about recipes if you're a recipe nerd. But one of the main things we want to talk about is planning for postpartum and just that it isn't weird to think about postpartum prenatally. And in fact, right. from the very beginning of our business model, we have been requiring is a tough word but the truth is we've been requiring prenatal postpartum planning sessions with our clients whether they were shared clients um, when we lived in the same place or now also um, in our own individual practices we we still six years later require prenatal postpartum planning sessions and we noticed not that we ever say no to someone who calls us week three saying hey i need some help but the people that call you week three postpartum and the people that call you, you know, 
a month in the second trimester, second trimester that you get to sit down, you get to tour their home, you get to map things out, you get to find out what nourishment means to them. All of these things, you get to make a bit of a plan and a bit of a preference sheet. The outcomes are stark, are starkly different between how, between people's own satisfaction rate, which is what mm -hmm. matters the most. Yeah. So there are many issues that people deal with week three that we as doulas know, maybe we couldn't have completely taken away all of those issues or that we couldn't have taken away some of what happened. Some people just have a path they have to walk, but we could have buffered it from go in a way that it wouldn't have had to go that hard or that deep. Mm -hmm. And some issues can be completely headed off at the pass. Just yeah. who's going to walk the dog? Just I mean, if you have someone that does this all the time coming to you and saying, let's think about all these things, suddenly you do start thinking about the things you haven't thought about, you know? If I just use like art, like we do an annual nourished postpartum challenge. And in that, we have these categories we ask people to talk about. And in a way, those could be their own postpartum plan, right? Uh, physical healing, nourishment, sleep, recalibration of the self, relationship shifts, sex, mental health. If we just had a conversation about each of those topics before we cross the threshold into parenthood, I mean, come on, right? Like, and most people are not even really thinking about any of those things. And if they're thinking of any of them, it is probably that they're not going to get a lot of sleep. That is definitely in the culture. You're not going to sleep as a new parent. And we do think about feeding, but we only think about how we're going to feed the baby. So we don't think about necessarily how we're going to get ourselves fed. Or even if we've heard about a meal train, we don't want to ask because we don't want to be a burden. And also we're afraid that we're going to get baked ziti the entire time. And so we don't want to be a, on a burden. And then we also don't want to get food that we don't like brought to us. Which is just so instead of us just to not being, not permissioning ourselves and therefore other people around us to ask for what we need, to hold boundaries, to be respected, seen and supported. And that is toxic in and of itself. And it just goes around and around and around and around. If you can't say, I'm sorry, I don't like this. Or if you can't say, you know what, I'd really love you to cook anything from this book. Um, right you know, this is something that we all have those gut, throat, heart, stickies and like tight moments when we do say it. But as soon as we do say it, as soon as we do ask, as soon as we receive with grace, immediately that person is permission to do and everybody around. It's funny how we kind of go into this freeze, even as birth workers and perinatal professionals around asking people to think about after the baby, before the baby, and how like, that's just like showing our immaturity as a culture rather than mm -hmm. being the truth. Mm -hmm. How like learning as we go is part of life. And it's okay if we don't like execute some plan, it's just yeah. putting some thought. So what so can we do? I mean, the truth is we plan for all kinds of things in life. We plan for weddings. We plan where we're going to, if we're going to move somewhere, we don't just like show up at the airport and like pick us. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Map. You know, like we look into it, right? We plan right. the house. Like, I just think sometimes this collective freeze that we all have around thinking about postpartum prenatally just speaks to like the immaturity of our culture and the fact mm. that 
we've moved into this very like individualistic consumer mindset rather than a community experiential mindset and experience of, of living. Um, so please don't be afraid to ask these questions. And like, to dig in. Whether it's asking- I think in some ways, some of these questions too, if we just use those ones that we were just going over, like, do we all kind of have a looming thing in there about how like sex is going to change or be different? if like parts of your body are now off limits like do we all wonder a little bit what that'll be like and how long i think so like it's like there is the wondering but then we just like haven't again created containers of when when can we talk about that it's not at the baby shower it's not at when we're interviewing the pediatrician it's not even when we're interviewing our care providers and so where is the container to talk about it right and what we're asking for is can we create containers whether that's the prenatal planning session with your postpartum doula ding or maybe if you aren't even doing that can you just have a prenatal planning session with your rings of support with your partner if there is one or with your family that's going to show up you know could it be that one of the weekend visits in that precious time period of you know, 40 some odd weeks where every weekend's got like a timer on it because it's one of the last weekends, you know, and could one of those weekends be just one conversation that is a couple of hours long around the table with your family of like, these are the things that actually are in me that I'm scared to say. These are the things that I'm scared are going to feel weird. I actually have a history of depression and I am scared that that's gonna flare up on the other side. What do y'all think we can all do to talk about what would we do if that happened? Who would we call if that happened? How would we all start showing up if that happened? What would be different? Or if I wanna make a particular feeding choice, like how, where in my community could I go if I need support with that? Just knowing that in advance and there's Another person that might be a good container, because you can't really talk to your parents necessarily about how your sex life is going to change. Just going to note that, but I know that might not be the reality for everyone, but maybe some. Maybe some people also, in California, I don't know. Maybe if you have, well, interesting judgment on California, Laura. I just feel like everyone I talk to that has really sex positive parents is from California. Is from there. Amazing. Yeah. Um, that's great. Yeah. I want a little of that in New York. Yeah, tell me. <laughs> um if you're from California. So what I do think though, is that if it can't be with your parents, if you aren't partnered, like also, is there one friend you have that's already crossed the threshold? That's, that's maybe someone too. That's a suggestion of another person that might be able to create a container with you. Just something off the brain there that I'm thinking. Which also leads us to one of the most valuable things you can do for your entire community. And this is whether you have had children yourself or you are planning to have children or you're not, um, the health of your community really, we all should be invested in, in all of the people in our community. And when someone crosses the threshold into parenthood, they need that community support. And you'll also learn so much from showing up for other people. So be yeah. willing to ask people, what would you, what are, what would you like to eat? and kind of dueling them and holding space for their desires. And you might be the only person that shows up and really holds a gentle, easeful, non-expectation-based um, space for them. If they say, yeah. no picture, we're actually not doing pictures of the baby, um, or, or you ask them, 
hey, I'd love to get a picture of me with the baby. Is that okay with you? And you're maybe the only person that has asked for consent. Maybe you're the only person that asked them what they wanted to eat. Maybe the, you're the only. We could make a whole other episode and we should okay. just on this. Okay. Like what is <laughs> the real way? Because what, we, I mean, we're wrapping this up is the real honest truth here, right? Because we, we know, like, we know your time is valuable. The training. <laughs> but like <laughs> one of the things we feel passionate about is showing up for postpartum. And so essentially that's what this whole episode is about is to basically open up the conversation of what this is, talk about why we want to change it from the script of depression to nourishment, and then to just like the way to do that. So there's the why, and then now the how, and the how is to show up. And so maybe we'll have like a linked sibling episode that is um, how to show up right? Because what, what we're asking is for you to do it. And if you don't know how, then maybe we'll dig into that later, but show up for postpartum. That's and what we're asking for. The reason that we struggle in this time period so much when we get to it is because we haven't been around this time period before we get to it. Mm -hmm. People are so scared to hold a baby because they've never held a baby before their own in our culture presently. That wouldn't be the case if we were living in community and we were supporting each other and that it, that it was normal to be in each other's homes, caring for each other. So when we talk about creating nourished postpartum experiences, we really are talking about creating community and nourishing and tethering together. It's the whole thing we're doing here. Right. And like a very important time nice to, to tether together, <laughs> a very important time to tether together is after someone has had a baby, had an abortion, had a miscarriage, all the time periods in a body that would be considered postpartum tether together at that time and show up for postpartum. And we love you. We love talking to you and with you. Thanks for showing Don't up. Don't forget so to subscribe. Don't forget to leave a review and talk about how you showed up for postpartum. And also don't forget that the door is always open for you to reach to us about what you think, about what you need, about what you're feeling, where you are. We want to hear from you. My stomach's growling. You hear it? It was really loud. I'm hungry. <laughs> okay. Love you. <laughs> Bye. When we ask people to share their reflections on postpartum through our social media, we got some incredible responses from postpartum care providers and people who are deeply enmeshed in this conversation. And we wanted to share a few of those with you that were just too good to keep to ourselves. When I hear the word postpartum, I immediately think of transformation. When I hear the term postpartum, my immediate reaction is generally not a word, but a sound. Postpartum, oof. Postpartum, no, 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 no. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Postpartum, mm-mm, Postpartum, oof. Postpartum, oof, I know, I know, I know. Mm, 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 mm. As I have witnessed your work and have educated myself and have you know read and, and seen more things um, beyond that, I also know that it or the words I guess that would come to mind for me are community, support, 
love, lifelong, um, those are the words that come to mind. And this is from someone who doesn't have kids, isn't a doula, nor has ever used the services of such. But I also um, have learned the value of, of doulaing when it comes to friendship and um, the people we care about. And so from that perspective, yeah, community, support, love. Those are the words that come to mind. When I think of postpartum, I think of waking up in my bed the first night I slept at home after being in the hospital for five days and trying to turn on my side to sit up in bed and not being able to do it and breaking down and crying while Erica brought me breakfast and knelt on the floor in front of me and held me. If you like this podcast, please subscribe.